God is holy. There are a lot of preachers, there are a lot of pulpits that are bypassing that truth today. And the average pulpit today doesn't deal with the real problem in society, which is a sin problem. And what is missing today is a revelation of who God is. We need a revival of the fear of the Lord. We just don't have it in our society anymore. God is holy. Now, when we talk about the word holy, what does it mean? The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, and today well, we are going to embark upon a, a new series here. And uh, I think it's very timely. I think it's very necessary. Uh, I'm going to be talking about what God is like and who God is. And, and there has never been, I don't think, a time in our nation, in our world, where there's been uh, a lack of comprehension along these lines, a lack of understanding about the person of God. And I think the result of that is obvious. If you see what's going on in our society today, it's chaos. And we could talk about a lot of the symptoms, but the root problem is we've just lost our view of God. We, we don't realize who we're dealing with here. Well, in First Chronicles 16, we're going to begin in verse number 23 and read down to verse 29. It says, Sing unto the Lord, all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the heathen. His marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. Notice the small g. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. And then note verse 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Notice that word holy. We're going to be talking about the person of God. What is God like? Well, first and foremost, he is holy. Let's pray and ask him to help us here. Father, we come before thee at this hour. We pray that you would give to us listening ears. We pray that you would bring, bring alive the scriptures and empower them and uh, drive them home to our hearts, these truths, these verses, these principles about your holiness. And Father, give us a glimpse now of that holiness today, and may it change us. We pray now and ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you were to ask the average person about God, probably the first thing they would mention is his love. Oh, he is loving. God is love. Or might, maybe they might mention his, his mercy. His mercy. God is merciful. Or the peace God gives. Or his faithfulness. Or a number of things. But folks, we must start right here with his holiness. God is holy. There are a lot of preachers, there are a lot of pulpits that are bypassing that truth today. You know, the old days gave us pulpits that were set aflame with this truth of the holiness of God. 
the pulpits today are dealing more with you and, and the external, that kind of a thing. You know, everything is, is beautiful. Here's how you can have a better life. And it's all about you. And the average pulpit today doesn't deal with the real problem in society, which is a sin problem. We have a sin problem in our world. We have a sin problem in the human race. And we would like to think that God is all love and just talk about His love. But that's not even the truth of the matter. The Bible says in Proverbs 6.16, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven, notice, are an abomination unto Him. God is not all love. Not if you know your Bible. There are some things that God hates. And there are some things that the glare of God is on. They're an abomination to Him. And what is missing today is a revelation of who God is. We need a revival of the fear of the Lord. We just don't have it in our society anymore. God is holy. Now, when we talk about the word holy, what does it mean? Well, I looked it up, and Webster defines holy as sanctified, uh, to be in, in reverence. Uh, to be holy is to be devout. It's, it's doing godly or, or doing good. It's, it's immaculate. It is spotless. When we talk about something that is holy, it's untainted. It is unstained. It is without guile. It is upright. In fact, Webster even called it right-minded. If somebody is holy, they are right-minded. I thought that was good. Because we have a very unholy world today that thinks it's in its right mind. It is not in its right mind. We live in a world that is upside down in its thinking. And it's not right-minded. It is very unholy. And we live in a world that now makes a mock at sin and thinks it's funny uh, they have sex outside of marriage, think nothing of it. Fornication is commonplace. Uh, adultery is mocked on primetime television. Using the F-bomb or dropping the F-bomb, as they say, is not even wrong anymore. It's no big deal anymore. We have profanity running rampant. We have smut running rampant. And, and raunchy uh, humor and debauchery is commonplace. And we live now in a society that has been so brainwashed, they don't see it anymore. They don't think anything of it. That is just the norm. And I have to ask us today as a society, where are we getting our standard? I have to ask you today, where are you getting your standard uh, between what's right and what's wrong? I mean, it's something to check out. Where do we take our cue from, plain and simple? We live in a very callous society. Uh, a preacher by the name of Carlisle years ago made this statement. He said, the greatest security against sin is to stay shocked at it. Are we still shocked by sin? The greatest security, the greatest buffer against it, the greatest barrier against it is to stay shocked by it. Sin is still a shocking thing, or at least it should be. You know, in the days of Jeremiah, just before Israel fell, God said of those people, they're not ashamed at anything anymore. They don't know how to blush anymore. Word for word, that's what he said. Can they even blush anymore? You know, God is holy. And we can talk about the fact, yes, He is almighty and He is loving and He is merciful, but His holiness is touted more in the Bible than any other attribute, any other quality of God. We find here a, a, a wonderful passage, and actually it's a song of David. It's at a very festive time. Israel is celebrating, and so they're saying these things. Sing unto the Lord, all the earth. 
Show forth from day to day His salvation. Declare His glory among the heathen, His marvelous works unto all the nations. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and He is to be feared above all gods. It mentions the gods of the people are idols. More about that later. But verse 27 says, Glory and honor are in His presence, and strength and gladness are in His place. And then notice verse number 29. Give unto the Lord the glory do His name. God is worthy of that glory. And then it says at the last part, worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. Let's talk about that holiness today. As we deal with this subject, let's first of all talk about the solemn reality of God's holiness. The solemn reality of it. God is holy. In the earliest days of humanity, we find that the world is just kind of getting established And worship is just kind of being established at that time. And Israel was kind of getting their act together as far as worshiping God. And in Exodus 39.30, it says, They made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote upon it a writing like unto the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. Here they are, they're making the garments of the high priests and, and the Levites. And God instructs him to make this plate of pure gold and write upon it this engraving, holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. Now, along the way, man's invented his own gods and continued to invent his own gods. The Egyptians had their gods. I've been to the uh, Egyptian Museum in Cairo and, and, and seen some of that stuff. Some of it's in the British Museum. Some of it's in Paris. But you can find these these civilizations from all time periods, and, and they all had their gods. The Philistines even had their gods, Dagon and so on. And, and with many civilizations, their gods were gods of vengeance. They were gods of, of sensuality, gods of lust and hedonism and, and pleasure. I mean, they made their own gods. And some of those gods were angry and aloof like uh, the olive of, of Islam is, uh, aloof from his creation, so-called. But... The one true God had this trademark. It stood above everything else. Holiness. In Exodus 15, 11, it says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness? Glorious in holiness. Now, man has always concocted his own gods that would suit him. Really, the darling sin of humanity is the second commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods or any graven images of, of gods or any god of your own imagination. Really is the best way of putting it. You, you find people today and you'll hear them at work. You'll hear them in the neighborhood. You'll hear them at the family get-togethers. And, and they will talk about what they think God is like. And you'll hear these words, to me. <laughs> to me, uh, well, God is like this or God is like that. To me, a loving God wouldn't do this. A, a loving God wouldn't send anyone to hell. To me, to me, to me, and so on. And what they have done is violated the second commandment. They have invented a God of their own imagination. Well, God's way holier than we can ever begin to imagine. You know, God is a, a trinity. We find that to be true. And He is Father, Son, and what? Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity is called Holy. Ephesians 4.30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit is obviously holy. What about the Father? Well, 
Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer in John 17, 11. He says to the Father, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. He calls him the Holy Father. By the way, let me just stop and say it's blasphemous to refer to any clergyman or any head of denomination as the Holy Father. That man is just that, a man. He is a mere mortal. There is only one who deserves that title, Holy Father. So the Father is holy. But, but what about the Son? We find Peter preaching to a crowd who had rejected Christ in Acts chapter 3. And in verse 14, he said, But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer, Barabbas, to be granted unto you. He's rebuking him for that. But notice how he refers to Jesus Christ. He is the Holy One. So the Spirit is holy, the Father is holy, and the Son is holy. Look in Psalm 99, if you would, turning forward from where you're at right now. What is God like? Well, first and foremost, He's holy. And may that find lodging in our hearts. We have a holy, holy, thrice holy God. In Psalm 99 and in verse number 9, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill. For the Lord our God is what? Holy. It's holy. So we see this solemn reality. God is holy. But secondly, we see the saints' reaction. Now, how does this apply to us? What should our posture be in, in light of the fact that God is holy? How does this relate to us at all? Well, let's take our cue from the Bible. Let's, let's look at the reaction of the saints in the Bible. When they got a glimpse of God's glory, when they got a glimpse of God's holiness, let's see how they reacted. Uh, we could turn there, but let's just refer to Exodus chapter 3 to save time. The man here is Moses, the meekest man on the whole planet at that time. A good man, a godly man. And he thinks he's pretty much washed up for 40 years. He's been out there in the desert watching these sheep and nothing but sand and sun. And, and uh, God shows up in the form of a burning bush. You remember the story now? And Moses walks over to it, because this is quite a sight. And he goes, i got to see this. And this bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And all of a sudden, a voice comes out of the bush and says, Moses, the ground you're on is holy. Take off your sandals. And Moses gets on his face because he realizes he is in the presence of God. God is holy, and we see the saints' reaction to it. Later on, he has a successor by the name of of Joshua. And Joshua, at that time, the choir just sung about a little while ago, ironically, but, but Joshua is contemplating how to take this town called Jericho. I've been to the ruins of ancient Jericho. There's still this mound there to this day. It's about the size of a football field. They never rebuilt it, but at that time it was impregnable. There was these big, high, thick walls, and, and the heathen were on the inside, the Canaanites, saying, na 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 and you can't come in here. And Joshua is contemplating how in the world we're going to get in there. Well, as he's looking at that wall that night, somebody shows up. Guess who it is? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read in Joshua 5.14, he said, As captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? Notice, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. One of the most godly men alive at that time, but he got in the presence of God and he felt the holiness of God and he falls on his face and he worships. Years later, years later, the Ark of the Covenant is captured. <clears throat> it is taken by the Philistines and bad things happen to them. And so they give the Ark back and it, it comes into a, a Jewish town 
And there in that town, they take it lightly. Oh, the Ark of the Covenant. Wow, this is famous. And they start looking inside of it. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 6.20, a bunch of them died, and the, the men of Bethshemus said, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? I mean, they've got a little slack and a little cavalier and a little calloused about the holiness of God, and they get this tragic reminder that costs many of them their lives. Look in Isaiah chapter 6, if you would, just turning forward from where you're at there. In Isaiah chapter 6, we find here that Isaiah, the prophet of God in Israel at that time, and a great man, a holy man himself, as we would call him, gets a glimpse of the glory of God. Have you ever gotten the wind knocked out of you? Boy, I've had it happen on occasions before playing sports and stuff, and it's really a, a, a panicky feeling. Well, it's like Isaiah gets the wind knocked out of him. He is overwhelmed. Let's read about it here in Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain or two he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, here's Isaiah talking, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He gets a glimpse of the glory of God. These seraphim are flying through heaven crying out, Holy, holy, holy! And all of a sudden the place is shaking. And it's filled with smoke. And on Isaiah, it's kind of like, whoa. And, and he goes, I, I, I don't want to see anymore. I don't want to hear anymore. I, I shouldn't even be here. Woe is me, he says. I'm a man of unclean lips. And then he thinks of Israel. <laughs> and he says, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And I realize it now and I recognize it now because mine eyes have seen the Lord. He got a glimpse of God's holiness. Look in Daniel, just turning forward from where you're at. Daniel chapter 10. You go through Jeremiah, and you go through Ezekiel, and you come to another major prophet by the name of Daniel. Daniel's a man now in his 90s. He had been taken away captive in Babylon there as a perhaps a teenage lad, maybe 20 years of age at the most. And for decades now, he's been serving the Lord faithfully. Got to be one of the holiest men we find in the whole Bible. One of the few in the Bible that you just don't find any, any dirt on, if you will. Well, Daniel's getting up in age. He knows it's getting close to the time when the people of God ought to be returning back to Israel after 70 years. And so he sets himself to a three-week prayer meeting, three weeks of fasting. I wonder how many of us can say we've ever fasted three weeks. So here's Daniel. He means business. He's serious. Well, guess who shows up in verse number 5 of Daniel 10? He says, Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with the fine gold of Euphaz. By the way, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. His body also was like the burl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polish brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude." 
And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking, a, a shivering fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained, notice this, no strength in me. He got the wind knocked out of him. And I like this next verse. For my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Notice Daniel, a holy man, a godly man, a man who'd been fasting, a man who'd been praying for weeks, gets a glimpse of the glory of God, the holiness of God. We find this description here of Jesus Christ. It nearly matches identically the same description we find over in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, turn over there if you would. Revelation chapter 1. We see the reaction of Moses and the reaction of Joshua and the reaction of Daniel. Let's move up quite a few years to Revelation chapter 1 where we find John the Apostle, no less, in exile on the Isle of Patmos, working in the copper mines, most likely, sent there out of persecution. And notice his reaction when he gets a glimpse of the holiness of God. You know, God might be our friend, but he's not your chum, and he's, he's not your buddy, and he's not somebody you howdy with. God is to be revered. And we need to get that down. We need to to see the reaction of the saints here. In Revelation chapter 1, we pick it up in verse number 10. John's writing, narrating. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Skip to verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if it they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. This is symbolic speaking here. Everything means something. We don't have time to get into it. But his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Notice verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Just who are we dealing with here? That's what we need to see. This isn't the big guy. This isn't the, the man upstairs. This isn't somebody who should be the, the butt of late night, late night jokes. This, this isn't, definitely isn't somebody whose name should be taken in vain. That is blasphemous. In fact, God says, I will not hold him guiltless that taketh my name in vain. We live in a society that has gotten so casual with God. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, on Judgment Day, if God condemns me, I'm just going to stand there and I'm going to present my case. No, you're not. You know, we find, we find a, a king by the name of, of Belshazzar who gets just a glimpse of, of God, just the, the handwriting on the wall, just the hand of God on that fateful day. 
And in Daniel 5, 6, it says, Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. Faster than I could do it. But we talk about your knees knocking. That was Belshazzar. All he, all he saw was the hand of God. And that was enough to send him into terror. Years ago, I was talking to a guy in uh, Crookston, just up the road here. And I'll never forget that. I was out calling uh, with my pastor at the time. And I, was a, I was a younger man, obviously. Had only probably been saved several years. And we were talking to this guy, and we were giving him a plan of salvation, and, and thought he was, you know, getting it. And all of a sudden, he started talking to us. Oh, he was getting it all right. He had heard it many times. He had grown up with it, and he had rejected it. You know, I think that night I, I met for the first time in my life a, what, what the Bible calls a reprobate. Somebody who has crossed that line and cannot get saved. And as he talked more, he got more angry and more angry, and he, he, he spoke of what we were saying, and, oh, okay, then I'm condemned, I'm going to go to hell then, and all this. And, and, and finally, he said, if on that day God condemns me, I will just say, blank you, God. I mean, he just said it. And he said, and I'll just go fry in hell for a million years. And I'm just going, wow, I can't believe I'm hearing this. You know, you won't tell God anything when that day comes. You will be speechless if you're not saved. In fact, Christ tells a parable in Matthew 22 of, of the, the, the wedding feast and the garment, which is a picture of salvation. And he mentions this. How camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment or being saved? Notice, and he, the lost man, was what? Speechless. You won't be presenting your case. You won't be blaspheming God. You will be feeling, perhaps for the first time in your life, the holiness of God. And you will be speechless. You know, the Bible says during the tribulation in Ezekiel 39, 7, it says of, of that society, God says, I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord. Notice, the Holy One. The day is coming when they will finally get it. You know, it's going to be sad when that day comes and they realize they missed it. God is holy. God has always been holy. God always will be holy. You know what's going on in heaven right now, even as I speak? We read in Revelation 4, 8, it says, They rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Throughout eternity, they will be pronouncing the holiness of God, enunciating the holiness of God. God is holy. It's not an area to play games in. This is not an area to be casual with. I, you know, I, I, I pity people who have heard truth over and over and over again. And we might have some here today. And you've gotten casual with God. You've gotten coy with God. You've gotten cavalier with God. And, oh, you know, I'll just go to church again. I'll just hear it once again. And, and you hear it over and over and over again. And you're indifferent to it. And you're, you're flirting with death on a weekly basis. Will you ever see another Sunday? And, and yet, unconcerned and, and nonchalant, you don't realize God is holy. We see the holiness of God and we see the reaction of these saints. And by the way, all these saints are just that. They were godly men. They were godly people. The people like Moses and the people like uh, uh, David and, and Daniel and John and all these. But when they got a glimpse of God, they realized they were so undone. Now the Bible tells me in 1 Peter 4.18 that if the righteous scarcely be saved... Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? There's enough there to meditate on for the rest of the day. 
If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? I, I pity them. I really do. We see this solemn reality. We see the saint's reaction. Finally, we see the sacred result of God's holiness. The sacred result of God's holiness. When we get a glimpse of God's holiness, we're going to clean it up. Clean it up. There was a young man from a church like this who went off to a secular college years ago. And he got into this dorm room with three other young men. And uh, one day his mother missed him so much, she traveled several hundred miles to visit him there and, and went to his, his dorm room and knocked on the door. And, and he opened it up and she walked in. And the first thing her eye caught was these smut pictures on the wall. All around there, just probably a dozen or so of, of, of this, uh, this lewd, provocative pornography on the walls. And none of it her son's. But uh, she didn't say anything. She just kind of looked disappointed. And, and he kind of just looked down, shook his head, you know, hadn't taken his stand, didn't really know how to handle it. Well, she went back home. Later that week, he got this uh, package in the mail. It was a beautifully framed picture of the head of Jesus Christ. And the boy, thinking, this is it, time to take my stand, he put it right over his bed there, the top bunk. Well, later on that day, Somehow, strangely, the lewd picture next to Jesus came down on this side. And the next day, the lewd picture on the other side of Christ came down. And one by one, it was just like the parting of the Red Sea. Those closest to the picture were coming down until the only thing left on the wall eventually was the picture of the Savior. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We see the sacred result of the holiness of God. And we do need a revival of it. We do need a glimpse of it. And when we do, there are going to be some sacred results. In 2 Corinthians 7 and in verse number 1, notice this verse for God's people. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting or completing holiness Holiness in the fear of God. Having these promises, and then we could talk about the whole Bible being full of over 7,500 promises. Having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, notice, and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God is holy. God wants us to be holy. In fact, the aged Peter, after messing up many times in his life, when he got toward the end of his life, probably in his 60s, he quotes something from Leviticus, written many years earlier in First Peter 1.16. Because it is written, he says, and this is God talking, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, that brings up the question, how can we be holy? How do we go about being holy people? Well, it begins with something Jesus Christ said. He, he said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Any hope of holiness begins with salvation. Any hope of salvation begins with a desire to get right with God. And that's what he's talking about there. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That was me. In the, in the fall of 1980, the winter of, of 1981, God was working on my heart. God had sent people across my path. God had somehow gotten literature into my hands. I was reading it. Faith cometh by the Word of God. And so I'm, I'm, I'm reading this. I'm talking to these people. I'm starting to ask questions. I'm starting to think for the first time in my life whether I'm right with God or not. And as I stepped back and I looked at my life, I realized it wasn't holy. 
and I wanted to be like God. If you could put it that way, I wanted to be right with God. I I think there's an inner desire in, in many, if not most people, to be a good person. You know what I mean? Well, I want to be a good person. And often before a person gets saved, they turn that up. They don't know how to go about it, but it's one of the indicators they are not far from the kingdom of God, as Christ told that one guy. And so there was me, and I I I was looking to get right with God. And God was working in my heart. The problem was, <laughs> there was no way I could work my way to heaven. There was no way I could uh, earn my way. And there was no way I could, I could be a good person on my own. I mean, if you just look at the Ten Commandments, I was putting other things before God. I was violating the first one. I had a God of my own imagination. I was violating the second one. That one about taking his name in vain. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, how about the one about, uh, you know, honoring the Lord's Day and the one about honoring your parents, the fifth commandment? None of us can say we've kept the Ten Commandments. You know, you, you look at the, the sixth one, thou shalt not kill, and you say, I've never committed murder. But Jesus said if you've even been bitter or angry or, or had hatred in your heart towards someone, it's murder of the heart. And that seventh one, I've never committed adultery. Yeah, but if you've even lusted after the opposite sex... Jesus says again in Matthew 5, you're guilty of that one. The eighth one about uh, stealing uh, and coveting and, and the ninth and the tenth uh, and lying. Who can say they've never told a lie? I mean, we're guilty of all ten, really. And so there I am, you know, trying to be good, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, but I realized it was futile. It, it was hopeless. The problem is we're sinners. Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It is utterly impossible to work our way to heaven by our own bootstraps, our own merit, our own good works, our baptism, our church membership, or anything else. In fact, the first step to being saved is to realize it's not by works that we have done, but according to His mercy that He saved us. You're saved by grace. It's the gift of God. Not of works, the Bible says, lest any man should boast. We cannot earn our way to heaven. What we do need is the righteousness of Christ put on our record. It's called imputed righteousness. When we call upon the Lord in simple repentance and faith, and and we are born again God's way, God takes the record of Christ and He puts it on our record, and suddenly God sees the holiness of God on our record, the holiness of His Son on our record. You and I will never make it to heaven without that holiness imputed onto our record or just placed on our record. In Isaiah 35, 8, speaking of heaven, it mentions, and a highway shall be there, in a way. And it should be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. You know, we are right now surrounded by a cesspool of, of debauchery in our society. And the late night humor and and, and the average TV show, the average movie is so raunchy. You know, a good question would be, is God laughing at it? No. You know, I'm all for humor. I, I'm all for fun. I, Fargo Baptist Church is a fun place. We have a great time around here. But not if it offends God. Never if it offends God, a holy God. Sin puts a great chasm between us and God, a great gulf. In Isaiah 59, 2, God says, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. God is holy. 
Sin separates us from God. You know, the, the devil loves debauchery. And the devil loves filth. And the devil loves ungodliness. And the devil loves wickedness. That is his thing. But in Job 34.10, Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. By the way, when this thing's all over, this cosmic battle is, is finished, and the smoke clears, and the dust settles, the winning side will be the holy side. Never forget that. And it will be holiness in heaven, and holiness throughout eternity. For now, God hates sin, and God delights in holiness. Proverbs 15.9 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. You know, for Christian people, let me just say this. Very little holiness mentioned in pulpits today. If there was more of the holiness of God preached from pulpits, there'd be more of it practiced in the pew. If there was more preached about sin in, in our pulpits, there'd be less practiced in the pew. If there was more hell preached from the pulpit, there'd be less hell practiced in the pew. Again, we need a revival of the holiness of God. We have this mentality, oh well, no big deal, nobody's perfect. No, God is holy. He wants us to be holy. Are we growing in holiness? Turn to 1 Peter, if you would, chapter 2. We need more fear of God. If we had it, we'd have less sin. We need to get to the place to where we fear God and fear sin. There was a, a first century Christian that was known for his holiness. The emperor of Rome called him in. He had been captured. They finally caught him and brought him into his presence and said, uh, I want you to recant. And the Christian just kind of looked down and shook his head. And he said, well, then I'll have you put to death. And the guard next to him said, oh, no, no, I heard him say he wants to go to heaven. That's not punishment. Well, then I'll have you put in the dungeon in solitude. And the, and the guard next to him said, no, no, that won't work either. I, uh, I, I know he loves time alone with his God. He, he said, well, well, what can we do to him then? He said, I know one thing that he hates and he's afraid of, and it's sin. Tempt him. Get him to sin. If you get him to sin, you will make him miserable. Folks, we need to fear God, and we need to fear sin. We need to get to the place where we, we hate sin. In First Peter chapter 2 and in verse number 9, the Bible says this of God's people, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Notice His marvelous light. You know, the Bible says when we get saved, God calls us out of the darkness into His marvelous light. And the Bible says to seek the holiness of God, which without no man shall see the Lord. If we want to get close to the Lord, if we want to really uh, have the intimacy that we ought to have with God, the warm fuzzies, if you will, the seeing of our prayers answered, it's going to require a holiness. Christians should want that warm relationship to be caught up close to the Lord. We can get too caught up in all the wrong things. Honestly, we can let this world take our, the spiritual edge off us. We can be into the politics. We can get caught up into the business, uh, the sports, the Hollywood, the, the financing, all that kind of thing, and really forget our God. First or Second Peter 3.11 says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, 
What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Seeing that all this stuff is going to be dissolved, and it is. It's going to be burned up. What manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness? I'll quit where we started. Our text, 1 Chronicles 16, 29, says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. What is God like? Very simply put, He is holy. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.